The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Skillsoft. Welcome to The Edge, the Skillsoft podcast where we share stories of the ways in which transformative learning can help organizations and their people grow together. I'm your host, Michelle BB. My pronouns are she and her. And this season, we have welcomed guests from all over the place, myriad industries, technology, professional services, finance, nonprofit. And in the service of bringing as many diverse points of view to the table as possible, I've had enlightening and candid conversations with executive coaches, DE&I experts, development directors, marketers, storytellers, and more. And in most of the episodes, we've talked about disruption and its somewhat unexpected byproduct, growth. You've probably heard me say this before, but I don't think any of us would have predicted where we would be today. The pandemic and the collective trauma associated with it, worldwide calls for social justice, the great resignation, quiet quitting, quiet hiring, geopolitical instability, inflation, and recession. We haven't had a moment to take a collective breath. I'm going to do it right now. Inhale. Exhale. In our 2022 Lean Into Learning report, we really leaned into the state of the current workforce. We shared year-over-year learning consumption trends, and we discussed ways to build a strong social compact between employers and employees. And ultimately, we know, and it was evidenced in the research, that investing in the potential of your existing team to create a more sustainable workforce is truly mission critical. And by the way, if you're interested in that Lean Into Learning report, you can find it at skillsoft.com. But this report really got us thinking and exploring. In the age of the great resignation, in the age of quiet quitting and quiet hiring, how do you retain your top talent? How do you create a more sustainable workforce? Well, according to today's guest, Adrian Kaler, it all starts with leadership engagement. Adrian is a leadership engagement expert and founding senior partner at the executive coaching firm Take New Ground based in Los Angeles. He coaches executives and entrepreneurs in the art and science of leadership for themselves, their teams, and their clients to create new, unprecedented results and experience fulfillment in their work. I cannot express how excited I am for today's podcast. Adrian, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to The Edge. Yes, excited to be here. So before we get started, because I think this would be really helpful and useful for the audience, tell us a little bit about yourself and actually how you got into this line of work. Tell us a little bit about how you got here. Sure. Once again, awesome to be here. Love your organization. Love what you do. Love the service. I mean, being of service to leaders is my heartbeat. And so that's what got me into this, this type of work. So Adrian Kaler have a coaching training consulting company called Take New Ground. We work with select leaders, select, not industry, select, attitudinally select. And I can get into what that means. But the X factor is actually people that want to play the type of game we want to play. Not everybody does. And that's great. So how did I get into this work, though? I kind of, in some ways, I don't know, wandered into this work. That's not necessarily true. I didn't wake up in the morning, you know, when I was 18 saying, hey, someday I want to be a leadership coach. I, did, I, I think asking an 18-year-old to, to decide what they want to be when they grow up is a pretty inhumane act. Okay. And remind me to tell you a story about my daughter with that, because when they asked her to declare a major at her sophomore year at 19, and she's like, I don't know what I want to do. No. So that's no. a whole, I mean, that's a whole story there. 
Yeah. Well, the fact that we try to corral young minds into doing is the focus instead of becoming is the focus and being is the focus, which is much more focused on who someone is and who they can be in the future and character and interests and exploration and curiosity. All the things we want adults to be, we don't train kids to be. We tend to find a lane so we know how to manage you. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox that's for a, a second. No, that's, gonna... that's a whole nother podcast that I think you and I will host because I am of that, Let's in, do it. you know, that same mind. I think that there is an important, you know, and look, we can tie this back to leadership, but I think that there is really something to curiosity, exploration, failing, failing fast, finding out Amen. what you don't want to do, and then learning what you love. Yes. Yes. I won't try not to get into too many stories, but my six-year-old daughter, about to be seven, she just got sent to the principal's office for the first time yesterday, and she was heartbroken. And she earned it, right? She was throwing paper towels in the bathroom against the wall, and and uh, she got busted. She got busted, and she didn't want to go to school today. And I said, babe, this is when you learn. This is great. You, yes, you're sad. Yes, you're embarrassed. This is why consequences are our teachers. It's wonderful. Now, get your chin up. Own it. You know, she wrote an apology letter to the principal. She's going to go sit in the principal's office today. And to, to your point is fail fast. Like, hey, you messed up. That's okay. Don't be ashamed of that. Yes, you did That's what right. six-year-olds do. Do crazy stuff. Now get up and go Get up and go again. All right, let me get to your question. How did I get into this? So I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I was great at science and all that. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll go be a doctor. I was like pre-med in college and thought early, I don't think I'm, I'm not. First off, I'm not that data-driven. I'm people-driven. God bless the data-driven people. So I ended up getting a nursing degree, which was surprising to me. I thought I'd go travel the world doing it, which I ended up doing. The adventure side of like medical and adventure worked for me. Um, worked at a children's hospital in Chicago, mostly intensive care unit for kids. So did that for a couple of years out of college, moved to Los Angeles. Faith was a big, it was, is a big part of my background, my story, i.e. like, let's go put the world back together, like be a redemptive force in the world. That that side of faith was always attractive to me, not the, you know, hide in a fortress and be right all the time. I'm not interested in religious dialogue, but faith dialogue, spiritual dialogue, that's vitality to me. So moved out to LA to actually, then I did a hybrid. I was working in the intensive care still, but then worked at a, a spiritual community, a church here in LA. And it was a growing church. It was about 3,000 people in the city, which you'd ever, nobody ever builds that mm. church is that large in cities. They do them in the suburbs. That's easy. But in the city's tough. But there's, there was a guy named Irwin who became a mentor of mine who had the music. I quickly said, okay, I like this guy. He's got a view of the world that I like. And he makes a difference. And he mobilizes people and puts faith and risk together, which I dug as a 25-year-old. And he was famous and wrote a lot of books. And people wanted him to go speak. So they sit with it. Instead of him going, they would send punks like me to go speak. And we talked a lot about leadership. We had a partnership with Gallup at the time when the Strings Finder was just getting crafted. So we were on the ground level, I guess, when that was coming out. And so we, did, we would do all these seminars around personal development, around Myers-Briggs, personality stuff and character-driven stuff, obviously. And I loved it. I got to go travel the world speaking. And then my, but my job was to build teams, build volunteer leadership teams. So the study of human beings and what makes something meaningful has always been, because if you're going to move volunteers, you got to get incentives on the table. And you know, you had to be really great at casting vision and, and building connections. So I built connections between me and the city and the county and, you know, dozens of nonprofits. And then I would mobilize teams overseas so I could hybrid together my medical background and my activism. And when Haiti, you know, when earthquake in Haiti happened, I was on the ground with doctors four days later, setting up a clinic in the middle of nowhere. That part was fun for me going from, oh, like, there's an earthquake. 
okay, start the clock. Let's go. And then four days later, I'm on the ground with eight, eight doctors and wow. me. Or in Pakistan's underwater, me and a doctor are traveling around doing health clinics or anyway, fill in the blank. Lots of travel, lots of me being in extreme environments, helping people take on chaos for the sake of a purpose. Mm-hmm. Out of that, real quickly, that guy, I met a guy. He had his own personal transformation. He asked me to leave that. He asked me to leave that work at the church and say, "Hey, and help him figure out what he wanted to do with his money because he'd had this spiritual experience. He wanted to be become generous. So that meant would I go start his foundation for him? So I took him around the world, exposed him to all the needs I was connected to, and the people and the amazing organizations I was connected to, and we ended up working in the prison system in California, which is where oh, I live. Oh wow! And Skipping forward in the story, we ended up doing leadership transformation trainings in prison with murderers. So I met a guy named Dan Tacchini. He had been doing a lot of work with juveniles not too far from where you live in, in Lynn, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And he really had a he had the best, the most studied and the most used curriculum for youth transformation in the country where they would track people over time and they just wouldn't go back to prison, which is recidivism rate is the number one thing to pay attention to. Like right. once they go to some facility, do they come back? And, you know, and he was the best. He is the best. So I hired him immediately, learned from him, went through all these trainings, personal development trainings, which I'm a sucker for. I love it. That's vitality to me as well. I mean, growth, evolution, next level, all that stuff is catnip for me. And did that and, and went through some coaches training at the time. And while I was giving away all this money, and helping nonprofit leaders and helping organizations and helping communities. Mm. So once once that got developed, I get bored pretty easy and I wanted to go mm. at least nationally or globally with our mission. And the guy who gave the money wanted to focus on one prison, which is wonderful. And I love you. See you later. So what am I going to do next? I just decided then, okay, I'm going to go be a coach guy. I don't know what that looks like yet, but I'd been doing it for a long time. I'd really been doing it for a long time. The the through line for me was that point of like being with people in the crossroads of their lives and stepping into chaos courageously to make a difference for themselves, their family, other people in their world. So that, that mattered to me. And I decided to go be a coach. And that was about 15 years ago and built a big practice out of that. And now I get to work with, um, I usually work with founders of organizations because uh, I love them because they're crazy and I love them. They're my maniacs. And the hype, I love working with hyper talented people, really ambitious people that if they can become aware of what's eating their lunch, like what's outside their view, then they can actually get what they want. Otherwise they just live this kind of, this, this very loud life, usually very effective life, but there's a lot of collateral damage. And I love people living a healthy life and getting what they want simultaneously. So being able to come in and have this kind of, I call it fierce advocacy. So advocacy has always been a theme of mine, standing for people, fighting for them, helping them. That's like championing and pushing at the same time. But it's also fierce. We're like known as the no BS people because it's, I don't know, the truth sets us free, not our own stories about justifications and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, that's what I get to do every day, which I love it. So that's what we do at Take New Ground. Oh my God. Like there's so much to unpack there. And I think, again, we could have quite a few podcast episodes just on everything you touched on from Let's do it. your medical experience to and and working with 
people in a very different way and using these skills of coaching and teaching and helping people grow out of chaos, I think is, is fantastic. Let me, so, and then I got to ask you a question because I mean, it just sort of makes me think as you, as we now think about some of the work that you're doing with organizations, right? Yeah. Do you feel that same sense of energy and excitement? Look, we, we know right now that in this world we live in, and, and if we bring it back to kind of corporate world, so many companies are thinking about ways that they need to boost employee engagement. There's this whole idea of, you know, when you think about what the pandemic has done to us, what has really happened, we're in this place where social distancing has caused so much emotional distancing and the connections that we had with organizations, you know, the ones that we work for, it's just not the same anymore. And so how do we, how do we now navigate these organizations in a way that allow us to focus on employees, grow the business. And I know you have a topic, this this idea of leadership engagement. I was really, really interested when when I spent time on your site and I read, and, and we may have to bleep this one out, but let's turn leadership into leadership. And so it makes me think that from all of the work that you've done and you've brought forth with you, you're looking at organizations and saying, okay, we're not getting something right. So what is leadership engagement? What are organizations currently missing? Oh, wow. Okay. A lot there. Let's see if I can jump into the tip of the spear. So first off, let me agree with you on the fact that COVID did a lot of things. I think COVID naturally kind of revealed I think that's what it was. I mean, mm-hmm. it revealed a lot of stuff and it was inconvenient and it, it, inconvenient in the sense that it took away conveniences. You know, proximity does a lot for us around connections. So it actually it, it generated the environment in which we'd have to work a lot harder to get the type of connection that was maybe there before, or maybe it's just the allure of connection because we saw the person every day and maybe they weren't that connected. I, that's why I think it just kind of turned the lights on. So folks that were more disconnected, now had license to actually feel disconnected. Mm-hmm. Like they got mm-hmm. more, they got more, I'm using the word connected a lot. They got more aware of their level of disconnection and discomfort. And, and then what to do with that? I mean, as humans in general, we're not taught what to do with ourselves, like how to craft our own experience. That's a deeper conversation. And we don't go in the whole philosophical realm, which we could talk about for five hours. At least I could. And most people get bored, I think. But so the tip of the spear, though, around leadership engagement is if one is willing to take themselves on, if a leader is willing to take themselves on as their first project. So that's an odd idea for most people, especially in leaders. Leaders, Leadership is for other people. And you know what? A lot of that's true. If I'm a leader, I'm leading others. But a lot of our focus with our companies with our leadership teams, with our people we're working with one-on-one is a majority of leadership is self-leadership, which is once again, inconvenient because I'd rather just deal with them, deal with it. And most of our issues always start with me because there's a handful of things we know from neuroscience is that we don't deal with reality. We deal with our version of reality. Right. Right. So we're always living in, living in perception. Like you and I are on this you know, great podcast right now. It seems like we're on the same call, but we're not. You're on your version and I'm on my version. Meaning like I'm talking and you're listening and you're 
translating all that. You're not even thinking about this, but your brain's like taking up my sound waves and making meaning mm. about it. And you're thinking about, do I like it? Do I not like it? Do I connect with it? Is it helpful? Not helpful? Is this guy smart? Not smart? Credible? Not credible? Whatever. You're in lots of conversations about what's happening. And that's what you call the podcast. I'm doing the same thing, thinking about, hmm, what should I talk about next? How can I be most helpful? What's the, you know, we're all, you know, we're all in our version. Right. And yeah. we tend to lean into the things that we know and we like and we love, right? I mean, we don't necessarily want to lean into the things that are uncomfortable or where we mm-hmm. are not as, you know, I, it, it's interesting because, you know, I myself have a coach and I think everybody sh- I think everybody should have a coach. I will put it out there now because, you know, a coach is somebody who helps you see around corners helps you identify blind spots. And one of the things that one of my coaches said to me, and I'd really love to get your take on this because this is about self, right? This is about self. Well, she said, Michelle, look, you can work on your weaknesses all you want. And and I I understand that that you think that you need to improve in all of these areas. I would just suggest that you think about and lean into your strengths because that's where you're going to shine and that's where you're going to make a difference in this world. Yeah. I would love to hear your thoughts on that because I really, yeah. that gave me, I don't know, it felt empowering because it's like, okay, I recognize now, look, I don't want to be a bad leader. I've got to make you know some self-corrections, but this idea that I could lean into the things that I'm actually good at made me feel like I could be a better leader as a result. Yeah. Well, you will be. So <laughs> let me agree. And then I'll add an, an extra point yeah. to that. So first off, let me agree. We know the science is true on this. We use a leadership assessment tool. I mean, lean into your strengths, you know, Marcus Buckingham and StrengthsFinder really generated that language. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, lean into your strengths. And, and that's why they, they have 34 different strengths in the StrengthsFinder. And they only give you five. Why? Because if you gave 34, people are going to look at the bottom five. That's human nature is yeah. what's wrong with me or how do I get better? And I think that we naturally think, you know, being well-rounded is better. And we're taught that. That's why we blah, blah, blah. Anyway, back to the beginning of the podcast. But (laughs) if we focus on our strengths, if we focus on our strengths, we will actually generate more in less time. And we have wonderful experiences, tons of emotional, personal ROI and ROI for the people. We don't use StrengthsFinder for a handful of reasons. I use a leadership assessment tool called the Harrison Assessment. There's two theories in this assessment. The first one is called the enjoyment performance theory. And here's the punchline. What they found was that if someone spends 70, 70% of their time doing what they prefer doing, they have a three to 400% increased chance of success. If someone spends 70% of the time doing what they prefer doing, they have a three to 400% increase chance of success. So wow, that's good news. Reality for all of us though, is we don't have enough language for our preferences. Most of right. us call work, work. Most of us, you know, it's mm-hmm. a grind or parts of it's a grind or we, we obsess about the grind instead of obsess about the life and obsess about the, you know, self-expression, creativity, engagement, all the great stuff, because we're always, we're survival machines as humans and we're looking out for trouble. And if I have less trouble, my life will be better. That's the typical math. Instead of what do I aim at where the trouble actually becomes less. So if anyway, so I agree on one side. If I, let me add a second point, which is really to this leadership question that you asked. Mm. So yes, focus on your strengths, be responsible for everything. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we talk a lot unapologetically in our work with folks and, and I'm a, an acquired taste. I'm a shot of whiskey, not a wine spritzer. But the, <laughs> the, uh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> now, now I have to think about what I am. I'll, I'll give it some thought and I'll come back. That's great. 
the you be you. You know, I, I've owned that part that like, I'm an intense dude. And anyway, we get to it. My part of that part of the, therefore with the folks I'm talking to. And when we talk in, in team work or like off sites, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, you can imagine we do that type of work with executive teams. We say, you know, we're all criminals and some of us are just more arrestable than others. So we, we need to mm-hmm. own our dark side and our dark right. side in professional settings is the things we avoid, the gossip we do, the justifications we give, the kabuki theater we play, all the political stuff. That's all our dark side. It's yeah. i.e. self-serving, not good for other people. And so you got to own all that. And even if like, so there's lots of things that I'm not good at, but I'm responsible for it. Like I'm not an administrative guy. I don't ever want to talk, touch paperwork in my company at all, but I'm responsible for it. Right. And, and if it, if I'm responsible for something or any kind of detail and I don't make sure it's handled, it's on me. Now, most people, it, the, the danger with focus on your strengths is it gives license to immaturity. That's the okay. only danger. In it. Okay. Because yes, do that, but do it fully responsible, like own it all. Oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? And you're not saying that. I'm just saying that if, you know, as, as, as humans, we're looking for a way to make life easier for us, I think in general and more life. And so we, we tend to kind of focus on, we, we love pain relief more than, than pleasure. Yeah, pursuit. no, look, I, I agree. Look, you know, the, the thing that I find most interesting about leadership. And by the way, I don't think leadership is for everyone. I really don't. Meaning I don't think everybody, well, no, I should, I should say leadership is for everyone. I don't think management is for everyone managing others. What I do believe, however, is that when you are managing others and, and I, I take this to heart when you are a leader, you are accountable. And, and when you really think about it, and one of the things I try and remember is that all of the people who work for me, their lives, their livelihoods are dependent on me being accountable. Now, I want to be the best leader possible, so certainly I'm going to lean into my strengths, but ultimately I have to ensure that I am thinking about and focusing on all of the problems, all of the challenges, all of the barriers, all of the blockers that my team faces. And, you know, in sometimes, and look, this is, I think, a problem we have, but I, I wonder if sometimes we tend to focus on problem solving almost a little too much and maybe not thinking about other areas of leadership because we're so focused on that. I got to solve this. I got to solve this. I got to solve this. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, and, and it, it looks good if you're talking about the trouble, you know? So, I mean, that's a, there's a, there's a paradox in that, right? So focusing mm-hmm. on being optimistic and focusing on analyzing pitfalls, we talk about like being wise, like what mm-hmm. isn't working, what might not be working. Anytime, you know, I'm with a leader talking with a team about a breakdown, our methodology is ask these three questions. So there's a breakdown. First off, we want this breakdown. That's, that's the first counterintuitive thing is like it happened and we let it happen. Either we created it or we allowed it. And so I, we infuse ownership early, not like it's happening mm-hmm. to us. We must have wanted this if it's happening. Because I say current reality is the, is the truth teller, not us. So we own current reality first off. Like, okay, good. Here's this breakdown. It's here to teach us something. It's here for us to grow. Now, as we look at the breakdown, ask ourselves three questions. People usually don't ask the first question, which is what's working? 
if we're in this moment, what's working? Like, is it like, even despite this thing, that's, that's the, this thing that's broken down globally, what's working on the team and spending time really celebrating and affirming and getting on the table, what you want people to keep doing. Cause that's working. So, so even though this, we're in this crisis moment for whatever reason, there's these things that we don't want to give up. And what are those things? And then what's not working? Like what, what contributed to this breakdown? Let's own that. And then what's wanted needed in order to transform from this moment that we don't like because of the results or because of the mood or because of the shift in culture or whatever, what's one needed between that and this vision, this, you know, we talk about vision as a future worth having, like what's the thing we're willing to sacrifice for. So if you count that way and I think mm-hmm. really holistically and honestly, then you can celebrate the good stuff and you can be honest about the contribution for everybody around the table. Cause that's the other side for leaders is we don't, honor complaints in our organizations. We avoid them or we try to make them less instead of honoring them. Like they are underneath any complaint is latent vision. People only complain if they want something else. And people are usually more connected to the complaints than the vision because it's safer. And because it's, you know, it, it, it points responsibility somewhere else. Like this is happening and it's Tom's fault, blah, 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 or whatever. If you listen to the complaint long enough and I, I picture it like a rock, like you lift it mm-hmm. up and there's something underneath there. Get to that conversation underneath. Why are you complaining? What do you really want? What's wanted and needed to get from where we are today to where you want to go? But then you put responsibility on the lap of the complainer to help solve their own problem. And some people don't want to do that, right? They just want to keep diffusing responsibility to other people. And those folks, you ought to let go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's really, that is really interesting. I love, love this idea of getting, getting to that conversation underneath, because I think a lot of times we do keep it surface level and that's not going to help anyone. It does help us. That's why we do it. Like, like dealing with symptoms is, looks good right? It, it, we, get to, we get the appearance of if we're solving something, if we deal with a symptom. And, you know, and we just keep it at that level. Usually people, this is, this is where I think in the workforce, as we're moving now, mm-hmm. leaders that are more willing to get to the core issues are the ones that people are going to flock around. Because the world is more chaotic, not less chaotic. The world is more complex than less complex. The world is more confusing. The op- options are even bigger. So who do I trust? Well, I trust the person that's going to be real. So if we keep dealing with symptoms, we're going we're gonna to cure the symptoms, it's like taking Tylenol. You cure the symptoms, that's great. But every four hours, you got to keep curing the symptoms. So most of the pain of people I'm talking to is they've been trying to cure the symptoms for a long time and they think they've gotten to the issues. But there's plenty of conversations. I say this to my clients all the time. I say there's what's running your organization is under the table and that's where we're going first. So what have you decided is not worth talking about? That's where the resource is. At some point, they run out of room under the rug. So we just pull that rug back and take a look. So getting to curative issues, which you got to get to causal issues to get to curative issues. Right, right. So, okay. So now let's talk about skills because I think this is actually a great yep. segue into the skills that we, you know, that that leaders need. And, you know, I loved your, I sort of took this note, trust the real. And, and that was just sort of what popped in my head when you said that. But it does speak to... I think some of the things, some of these power skills that we need leaders to have, right? I mean, look, you've got to be able to collaborate with others. And, and, and I will tell you, I think oftentimes, especially in this hybrid world, and especially in this remote first 
you know, where so many of us are on video that collaboration breaks down often because teams are not connected. I think we have to learn adaptability. I think we have to be able to build trust again in an environment where we are two-dimensional people. And that's really difficult because we tend to build those kinds of relationships when we are connected in person. It's not the only way, but I think it's a lot harder to build that kind of trust. We have to communicate effectively. We need to be transparent. And I will say that the one thing that I think is most important outside of authenticity is empathy. Like we need to be more empathetic as we go through this world and life together, especially because, and look, I know you you probably have a say on this as well. We spend a heck of a lot of time at work, however we define that, and probably a lot less in our own lives. And so this notion of of bringing forth these human elements into our work life, because it is such a big part of our overall life, it seems to me that that is absolutely critical, especially now. Yeah. So there's a lot that you said. There's a lot to unpack there. No, no, it's great. It's great. (laughs) Let me start. Let me start with the last thing. So yeah. I hope we put to death the phrase work-life balance. I hope we decided. Amen. Amen to that. It I hate it. It it makes it gives this like twitch right here. Yeah. Um the work-life balance balance is a zero-sum game. And so if one thing's winning, one thing's losing. Why do we want to set up a win-lose game in our lives? I mean, just in literal sense, that's what that is, right? And even if we got it perfectly, where it's like the teeter-totter is just right, the only next thing to do is to tell people, nobody move. I've got my life the way I want it. Don't move. Don't have a problem. Don't Mm -hmm. have a feeling. Mm -hmm. Don't have a thought. Now everybody's just a tool for you and your own kind of Zen well-being that's, you know, very fragile. So it's a very fragile state in general. So we talk about work-life integration, which sounds like you and I are aligned on that, Mm -hmm. where it's like, how do we get... The pre- just own the reality that everything's personal, period. I ask you know, leaders questions and they'll sometimes ask me, what do you mean? You mean personally or, or professionally? And I said, well, tell me the difference. Yeah. Because we can't avoid our personhood at work. We bring ourselves and we bring all of our thinking, all the thinking we do when we're brushing our teeth in the morning, we bring to the boardroom. That's the same thing because I've got me. I've got bet- the gap between my ears, you know, is never going away. It's coming with me. My thoughts, my beliefs, my default settings, my automatic responses, my ambitions, my hopes, my dreams, my fears, my insecurities, that's all there. So to your point around empathy, you know, I don't use the word soft skills at all. I think it's, it's demeaning. And like there's hard skills, that's the good stuff. That's mm-hmm. what we pay people for. And the soft skills, if they have that, great. And then that creates a culture of, it's a zombie culture for sure. Mm, I could mm. go into that more where it's just like there's a leader and then, you know, just tell people what to do. It comes from the industrial age. So my point being is that I don't call it soft skills. I call them vital competencies. Like, I like that. Re- life happens, vitality, you know, growth, new life that comes from our ability and willingness to engage with ourselves first and then to engage with other people and that we don't teach that skill. It's deep and it's personal. And we put that in the therapist's office and, and we need it in the boardroom. We need it in the meeting. We need it on the Zoom call. And there's not a lot of spaces in which people can do this type of work, except for at a therapist's office, which I've got opinions about that, or just <laughs> reading, or just, you know, I, and, you know th- the therapeutic mindset itself is, is crafted by Freud for the most part. There's some other psychologists out there that crafted it, which just says, I am the result of my past. 
which is a very dangerous view. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very, very much a victimized view for sure, right? I'm not mm-hmm. me. I'm, I'm what happened when I was seven. But there's no life in it because now I'm just trying to deal with my past in a way that I get back to zero. That's how most people relate to it. It's like, here's my trauma stuff, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just trying to get back to zero. And, you know, I'm a, fr- I'm a fan of Adler, which was a contemporary of Freud at the time, which says I am my future. I am what I'm committed to. It's a teleological view instead of etiological view. So it's a, it's a dance, which is, I think, the only honest way to talk about it. My point being is that we don't, as leaders, you know, I, we run leadership academies and we train leaders to act like coaches. Surprise, surprise. Because, mm-hmm. you know... I think that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants to be really heard. Everybody wants to be really seen. Everybody wants to be really believed in and really challenged and equipped and then pushed. Like, go, go do it. Run an experiment called life. Go do the thing. Go run the meeting and win or lose, work or not work or whatever. And it'll be a part of the process for you. But we tend to like set our lives up where we don't have that great a view of ourselves and so then, therefore, really self-critical and therefore really defensive when anybody has any feedback for us. And so we live this defended life and we're defending our own limitations. Anytime I run a leadership training, I usually come to somebody and say, at some point today, you're going to fight for your limitations and I'm going to fight for your future. Which one do you want to win? Oh, my God. That feels like a kind of a mic drop sort of question. I mean, that is so powerful, Right. Cause I think we all it know is. the answer we want. <laughs> right. But we got to so, get over ourselves. That's the thing, right? Like we got to like, you know, the, anyway, I'll try to keep us on track here, but <laughs> it's right. This is what gets me up in the morning is like, how good could life get? Not how can we make it through? Oh you know, my gosh. We live, we live such a survival life. Like we just want to feel as good as we can on our deathbed. And what a small way to invest these 85, 95, 105 years we have in looking good and feeling good and being right and being in control. Those are the four survival needs. Those are gravity. We don't get a vote. Looking good, feeling good, being right, being in control. I guarantee in any breakdown and any team right now, those are happening. Like take it to the bank. Those are happening. And those are natural priorities for us. They're mm-hmm, not the most, mm-hmm. I mean, that's it's low level living, and I can do that just like anybody. Ask my wife. Every fight I get in, I'm fighting with myself about, hold on, do I want to win this or do I want to love? Which one? And you know, so we're all contending with that. So as a leader, and I'm with you. I think everyone's called. I think everyone's called into leadership, at least leading themselves. Like if 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 they want the life they want, they better get to the captainship of their own experience or the captain's seat. So then this is this is where my next question comes in. And actually, like I, I, you couldn't have teed it up more perfectly. If we're taking ourselves on as our first project, right? If we right are the priority in self-leadership, who's on our team? Who do we need around us? Who is helping us get there? Because let me tell you, you don't do it alone, right? You have mentors, you, you have coaches, you have, you have sponsors, right? You have people who are talking about you when you are not in the room. So who is on your team? And then maybe, you know, I'd love for you to share an example of who's on your team, Adrian. Sure. Yeah. So who do I need, right? If is mm-hmm. that that's the question. Absolutely. Yeah, so if I'm committed to transformation for my life, like ever and ever evolving self, high performing, then who do I need around me? Well, mm-hmm. okay, great question. I mean, no one's ever asked me that question before. So <laughs> I can't believe that I stumped you. I am sure. That's wonderful. It's wonderful. No, I, there's, there's, there's a lot, there's just a lot of answers in my head. So, I mean, who do I need? First off, I need the help. I need an ever 
I don't think there's a word for this. I need a willingness to get and a vision for myself to get healthier and healthier over time. Mm-hmm. Meaning like I've got all my dysfunctional stuff and I've got all my wounding and blah, blah, blah. And I got to have a vision for, for dealing with that and bringing that to the table and be in this engaged conversation with myself. And so who do I need? I need me first, right? So mm-hmm. like I know that yep. for, for Adrian, there's an aspect of me that's a CEO. There's an aspect of me that's an employee to myself, right? There's the one that follows and the ones that the one that leads. And I really need to make sure I'm refreshed and get back. That's why I journal every morning that I get back to the CEO seat in my own life. So no matter what's going on relationally, you know, vocationally, emotionally, spiritually, blah, blah, blah. I need to get myself to the leadership seat in my own life. So I need me. That's maybe the the answer that might pass by without noticing. If you're just at effect of other people, you're never going to, you're never, you're never going to keep advancing. Right. I mean, you might get lucky. You might, you might get lucky, but you're not going to be able to be tenacious and persistent. So what else do I need? I need people at, this is, can I answer both at the same time? Yes, of course. Okay, good. So first off, I, I need mentors. I need someone that looks like, acts like, lives like what I want, how I want to live. So that's, that's, a, that's probably a non-negotiable for people. I know it is for me. I mean, maybe people wake up and they have their own vision of themselves and they want to do it, but, but they're naturally, we're going to be comparing ourselves to somebody and you better get some best practices in front of you. And a, a lot of times, I mean, there's like, there's lots of nuances to that, right? So there's skills you can see. Those are vital, like communication skills or, you know, intelligence or know-how or experience. There's that type of the conversation. But really for us, most of the time, because leadership development, personal development is mysterious to us. Like it's a, mm-hmm. what would be the word? It's a phenomenon. It happens. When I talk about leadership, I don't talk about it as leadership skills very much. I actually talk about it as an occurrence, like leading is something you see happening in real time. So we actually study the presence of people. We wouldn't use weird language like that. That's the weird type of weird language I think about all the time. But we know it. When a leader walks in the room, the whole room shifts. Something else is happening because that person walked in. She walked in and we're like, oh, wow. I, you know, All of a sudden, we're believing something we didn't believe before. All of a sudden, like things got really clear and it wasn't clear before. All of a sudden, things got optimistic and we were you know, dreading before. You know, there's something around leadership that is a phenomenon. It's an occurrence which we study. So we, we focus on a lot of presence. So you need somebody to, that, that you look up to and want to become like. Right. We also need, and something I didn't do for so much of my life, is we need peers. Mm. Like people that are at our level, that are striving the same way, and we have really honest conversations with. You know, most of us don't vet the relationships laterally. And we're in competitive relationships with them instead of, you know, having camaraderie with them. I want to jump in because I love this. My boss has said that the most important relationships that you can have are those with your peers and that you need to treat those people as your first team. Certainly there are other people, whether above or below you, who are important, but the people who are your peers are in fact your first team, and you need to look out for their well-being in addition to your own because that's how you're successful. So I love that because, you know, I, it it really has shifted my mindset about where I put attention and focus and time. I have to invest in those relationships. Right on. Yes. Right on. I mean, most of the time in general, why, why people lose their top tier leaders, whether they're peer leaders or organizations lose their top tier leaders, whether they're peers, 
uh, like on a senior team or below them or people are managing is because when somebody's really good, we tend to, because we live in such a scarcity mindset, we tend to, oh, they're good. Let me leave them alone. I don't need to talk to them. Right. And, and you know, that's natural for us because we're problem solvers, right? Leaders are problem solvers. <laughs> so let's go find the problems and we'll focus on there. And then we end up giving all the grease to the wheels that have plenty of grease. And, and then people get dry and they feel really alone. Uh, even top tier leaders, they're just like, there's something missing on the team. They might not even have language for it, but there's some kind of being seen, being heard, being honored, being respected, being invested in, being used as a, I love it when a peer comes to me and says, hey, can I get your thoughts on this? I love mm-hmm. that. It's such an honoring thing. It's like, it hey, is. would you would you speak into my life? Would you like give me, where, what am I missing? You know? And so I, that's great. I agree with you totally. Like we need to be intentional about building the hyper-resourceful relationships in our life, which is counterintuitive. So and we also need younger versions of ourselves. Back to the question. Like, and, that we, that, and then that'll usually be people that report to us or, you know, mentees of ours. And if they report to you, you better take them on as a mentee. Take responsibility for at least your contribution to their well-being. You know, they're responsible at the end of the day for their own experience. Every feeling is theirs, not somebody else's, all that. I could go into that for five hours. But at the end of the day, you need to find people that you're utilizing the relationship. You know, we were talking even before we started answering or started uh, recording around uh, how great your team is. And I was saying that's probably, it's probably unconscious competency on your part because that's where great, great leaders develop in this way. We all develop in this way where we're unconsciously incompetent. That's how we start anything. Mm-hmm. And then we become consciously incompetent. Like, oh man, I blew that. Now I know why I blew it. That's growth. Like I'm un- I, blew- I blew it and didn't know why in the beginning. And now I blew it. And I know why that's growth. And then I become consciously competent. I know what I'm really good at. Like, here's why I'm good. And I'm good right. this way. And here's what I do in the meeting and blah, blah, blah. But then at some point, and there's definitely aspects of every leader's life that they're really great and they don't know why. And it's great to have mentees around because a mentee is a space in which you can think about how you're thinking about things so that you can teach what you know. I mean, I remember, I'll never forget, Brian was a client of mine, runs, he's the right hand of Gavin DeBecker at Gavin DeBecker and Associates, huge, Mm -hmm. top class, top 1% security firm in the world. And I said to him on a coaching call, I said, hey, what you do most naturally, you probably teach most poorly. And that is, I think that's true because it's so natural. And you, do, do you know this? From, I mean, can you notice that in your own life where it's like, you're just good at it and you don't necessarily even know why, because it's like you. You know what? They're probably, you know, I'm going to ask my team that question because I think it's really interesting to sort of think about because the things that, you know, I mean, look, and if you ask me the things that I do well, I'd, I'd probably have to just say, I, I, sometimes I don't even know what I do well, Right. but that's you know, it, it's right. You know, the, the the thing that you said, though, that was really interesting, right? Finding younger versions of ourselves. Yeah. I've done that. And I'll tell you the biggest benefit that I've gotten, not just in the ability, I think, to build relationships and, and ensure that the people who are newer to career are getting experiences that are going to help them grow. But I have learned a ton. There is this, I believe, in reverse mentoring. I have learned things that frankly, I never would have if I hadn't sat down with somebody who is curious, doesn't know what they don't know, but they have some some really unique perspectives and are unafraid to ask questions. And I love it. And I have learned so much from these conversations. Right on. Right on. 
So that's, I, I think if you do, if you have that 360 level of feedback yeah. and level of investment, I think that's what people need. I do that. I do that. And at, at better, at better levels over time, you know, I didn't have any peers for a long time. I was, I, I used to walk in the room as a young leader and say, okay, am I in charge or who, if I'm not in charge, who's in charge? And I would just find the leader and I would either become their Lieutenant or I would lead the coup. That was kind of my twenties version of myself. Not that that was healthy or anything, but that's just what I did. I was like, okay, the world needs great leadership. Who's leading? Do I like this person? Don't like this person? Great. You know, there's some more stories about that and some things I'm not that, I don't know. It was learning. It was learning. But I, that was true. And, and now it's much more clear about, I, you know, I say all the time and remind myself all the time, I always need more help than I want. I need more help than I want. I think there's, there is, I think we're getting over it at some level now in culture where like the Lone Ranger thing, like that yeah, we, no, feel no. Like, we feel like we get bonus points if we got to the top alone. That's just it's such not. a weird human experience. Uh, our human belief that's uh, like there, like if I do it myself, this is why a lot of you were alluding to them earlier, like really great performers, personal performers, executors, when they become leaders or managers, that's is a whole different world. Right. Because it's not me doing the thing. Now it's me helping other people do the thing. And that's a whole different set of concerns and a very different skill set. So I always need more help than I want. At least that's the first thought. And then, then, I, then I get into the warm bath of like, oh man, life is better together. Why did I sit on that email for four days instead of exactly, calling my friend? Exactly. Exactly. You know, I, you know I, I think you and I have very similar philosophies. Okay. So I got two more questions for you. Because I mean, Let's this is, by the way, this has just been such an amazing conversation. First of all, is there awesome. anything, um, I don't know about that, but thank you. Is there anything that you expected me to ask that I didn't or anything you wanted to share that it's like, you know what? I really wanted to make sure I said this. I mean, you've shared so much, but, but what did I miss? Hmm. hmm, hmm. What's core issues for us? core issues for us. And I think what matters, it, it'll connect to some of the other thoughts because if we're willing to have, if, let's, let me say this well, you know, Anne Lamont said life is unforgivingly complex. And I agree with mm-hmm. her. Life is unforgivingly complex. So how do we make it simple? As leaders, your job is to make it simpler. And that happens through communication, happens through your own spending your time thinking and getting, you know, some, some really clear language around dynamics and a really clear language around the future. That's, that's, you know, language gives people handles to know what to do, that they can move themselves, they can pull themselves forward, push themselves forward. So, you know, I think most of the, as for people listening to this, as you're thinking about building leadership teams and helping to build leaders, we focus on these three buckets I and mean, we've alluded to two of them. What we haven't alluded to is for number one for us. I mean, we come in, we're very people people. Like mm-hmm. we, we are convinced that every result comes out of an interpersonal dynamic, period. And I'd love to fight with anybody about that. Mm-hmm. The number one is though generating results. And most, we don't get to causal issues because we keep dealing with surface symptoms. And those are usually the personality issues. And we need to deal with our personality stuff. But uh, what is our aim. And if our aim isn't generating results, then now it's a personality thing. Right. But, right, uh, but right. It's, you can't ever get to a commitment conversation unless somebody's got their name on the line for some kind of result. But if you get your name on the line, if you get your, you know, stick your neck out, you're on the hook for something. Now, now the, the, the stakes have gone up because now I'm committed to something. And if I don't hit what I'm committed to, now I can actually get in a real learning for the sake of the goal. 
And if we don't, if we have squishy, that's why I talk trash a lot about our review processes because most of our HR review processes or our organizational review processes are BS. They are once a year and they give license to people to not giving feedback throughout the year. And then once a year, they check all these boxes and give all these scores, which are usually around raises and around promotions. They're not actually around performance. But like, how do I help them a little bit? And then I got to sit there and think and everybody hates doing it. And the person receiving it always feels like it was unfair and untrue and blah, blah, blah. And we're not in a constant conversation around what's working and generating results that are going to land on the ground or what's not working. And so, you know, generating results, building impeccable teams and self-mastery, those are the three buckets. You have to do all that simultaneously, consistently. Anyway, we just hadn't talked about that, but the generating results piece is helpful because a lots of people that I coach on a daily basis, they keep trying to make it work with this person and the person hasn't generated results in two quarters and they keep, you know, talking about how to make them better instead of holding them to a given account for why they don't want to do it. Because that's if they're not generating results, they don't want to generate results. That's the counterintuitive way I look at it. They haven't made decisions to make the results happen. And a lot of times for all of us, that's asking for help. So that gets the core issues on the table. So results are helpful. Objective commitments are really helpful. I agree. And I, I thank you. Thank you for, for sort of circling back to the, you know, getting us to where we need to be thinking about sort of a more holistic picture of leadership. We are almost out of time, but look, every episode that I do, I ask the same three questions. So this is one you can't get out of, but hopefully Great. you'll enjoy it. It's a three, it's actually, it's not three questions. It's one question, three parter. And you may need to write this down or if you have good memory, it's, Number one, I want to know what you're learning right now or something that you've learned recently that's had an impact. And the second part of that is how are you applying what you've learned, whether it is at work or part of, you know, this other aspect of your life? And then third, what advice would you give to others about that thing that you just learned? So it's what are you learning? How have you applied? And what advice would you give? That's great. Let's see if I, there's a lot that I'm learning. I'm trying to pick one that's the most helpful. I am learning, re-become a podcast guy. So, I mean, we have a podcast, the Naked Leadership Podcast. That's just a free resource for anybody that's leading something. It's called the, yeah, it's called the Naked Leadership because if we're leading well, it's going to be vulnerable. And we talk about the dynamics of, of what it takes to approach issues at work in a way that's resourceful for you and for other people. So it's very tactical in some, some calls and, and very philosophical maybe uh, on some others. But I've been listening to a lot of podcasts around, around behavioral science, mm-hmm. which is like the study of motivating people and, and why people do what they do. I have tended to, up until now, in my business, under-indexed on the science of what we do. You know, I, I'm good mm-hmm. and we're good at the art of what we do. Right. Cause, and we made, we branded around it. Like, you know, the courage in conversation is really what makes a difference for us because if people are going to have the robust conversation, new stuff happens. And most stalemates in business is because the conversation stopped. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm really learning much more about the science and why people make the decision they make and really studying more of the cognitive biases that we all live in and we don't pay attention to and don't have language for and don't even like, start to integrate the management of that. So what I'm what I'm doing with my team is making sure that my learning around these issues isn't in a silo. 
because I'm a nerd and I love all this stuff <laughs> and sharing out with my team, which is a little bit vulnerable because whatever, mm-hmm. I might like stuff they don't like, or I might agree, they might not even agree on certain things. So we've, you know, generated a handful of Slack channels where we are starting to learn in public. I was going to say, say learning together. That's an aspect of it that's coming, but really mm-hmm. we're just now learning in public. So invited the team to post in things that they're listening to, things that they're learning, things that's that great. is, you know, cultivating their own thoughts. And then we can argue about it and we can agree around it. We can do whatever. So that's part of the application. If, if there's not, if you don't have a culture of learning, then you're, you're at some point you're run out of runway. Mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. all your, you know, you'll be really dogmatic naturally where it's like the way we have thought about it and people complain about this all the time. They say, that's not how we do things around here, which is code for here's the things we're dogmatic about despite evidence in reality. And if we're paying attention to reality, it's going to call new things out of us. So we better generate a culture of learning that is mm-hmm. going to help us stay nimble right? Like that's one of the paradoxes of opinion making is certainty in my own opinion and open and reflective to other people. That's a paradox. That's never going away. Like how certain am I and how much do I want to get to know yours? And how, how can I, how do I hold my opinion? And we need to hold it loosely and take other people in. Now, if we hold it too loosely, which that happens lots of times in conversations I'm with, someone's really open and reflective and they're not that certain then they have this revolving door issue where it's like the mm-hmm. last person that talked to them is usually what's going to help craft their idea. And people, the people, they're unpredictable as a leader. So generate that space in which you get more and more clear about what you think about things. And then also generate the space in which you're really wide open to upgrading your idea, to trying something new, to experimenting with an idea in a project. And, you know, if you can do that, both being persistent and experimenting, another paradox, then you're going to be really unstoppable. And people love that, especially high performers. If, if they know that being in this organization makes me smarter over time, they'll stay. Okay. So generate space. And I love that. And, and I think be open. And, you know, the thing I think that I will take away most from this conversation is that there is so much passion and opportunity and in being a good leader. And it really is, I think, becoming the best version of yourself and focusing on self first, surrounding yourself and making sure that you focus on the people who are next to you locked arms. And then also holding yourself and others accountable for the results that you want to deliver. And and like uh, amazing in terms of insights. And and by the way, I love your sort of no holds barred, take no BS approach, because this is what I think, you know, people like the real, right? The trust, the trust, the real. Adrian, we got to spend more time, but we're out. So I just, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your passion. For everyone out there, look, here at Skillsoft, we propel organizations and people to grow together through transformative learning experiences. This was a transformative learning experience, and I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Edge as much as I have. Be sure to tune in again as we unleash our edge together. I'm Michelle BB. That's Adrian Kaler. Until next time, keep learning, keep growing, and be well. <laughs>